And this is Hassan Lopez, and I'm not playing Space Hulk. And this is Mike Pullman, and I am not playing Kingdom Builder. Is there really a game with that name? Oh yeah, it's a Queen Games. It's, it's, oh, I think I might even have it. Right, okay, it's it's pretty old. Well, that that could be the that's that's in the running for most generic board game name ever. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes it is. Uh, real quick, uh, Hassan, give us an update. Uh, what's up with Maniacal? Uh, Maniacal, I think we've completed our North American fulfillment, so all Chaos backers in North America should have received their copy by now. I think that's also true in Asia. Um, we're a little behind on the EU and the UK, and so I apologize to those folks. They, we were hoping they would have gotten theirs already, but they haven't. And yeah, the, I mean, the initial response from the backers has been really positive. I've been getting some nice, friendly emails and notes on BGG. So I'm, I'm excited. I, from a designer standpoint, seeing like those initial pictures and sort of session reports of people playing your game are really incredibly gratifying. I, I can imagine. Yeah. After great. so long. Yeah. Uh, I do have a bone to pick with you. Okay. Um, so so Mike and I are both getting our copies today, and as I mentioned before, I'm expecting the doorbell to ring any moment here. Uh, why did I – it's Thanksgiving week. I can't find anyone to play board games with me this week. <laughs> Everybody's doing holiday crap, so yeah. uh, good luck. Yeah, Could you have timed it a little better? <laughs> yeah, that, that hap- that's happening with my game group too. One of the guys sent out a, a text this morning. It was like, can we fit one in? And, and like all of us are like, rah, rah, rah. right. You guys are rookies. See, I invited people over for Thanksgiving who want to play board games. <laughs> oh, shoot. Good call. Yeah. <laughs> Our group is pretty widespread, though, and they're diff- people with different kinds of jobs and different walks of life. So some of them go out of town, and some of them are here. And it, it's, yeah, I, I just don't have that, that option. So so I get to stare at my copy of Maniacal. There's no solitaire gameplay in there, is there, Hassan? <laughs> no, there's not. <laughs> so I get to stare at my copy for a week or so before uh, I get to play it. So Well, I hope you enjoy it. So. Well, I'm super looking forward to it, so good. Uh, and it must be also, like, you, your work is done now, I guess. I, do you answer, like, you'll have to answer questions, I suppose, on Board Game Geek. Like, that's part of the release as well, right? Yeah, and I think that part of the process designers are comfortable with, or at least should be. You know, I, I try to make my, myself very accessible for rules questions and to respond to people's questions about the gameplay itself. Um, I think what's more uncomfortable and difficult to manage is how much pub- publicizing I should be doing. And mm-hmm. that is not something that's typically in the wheelhouse of designers. We don't know how the fuck to do that. And so. <laughs> well, and isn't yet, that Eagle Griffin's job? Well, yeah, but publishers are publishers vary on how good they are at it, and I think we see this in the world of books as well. Is that there's been this increasing sort of pressure put on authors to publicize their own books, right? right. And the same is kind of true in the board game world, which is the designers supposed to be out there yelling on Twitter about their stupid (laughs) game. So Hassan, do you have to field like complaints of you know my this thing's broken or this is missing from my box, even though it's out of your control? 
No, thank goodness. Yeah, that that eagle is very good at and very mm-hmm. responsive at. Like like a lot of publishers nowadays, you basically just send them a quick email and they send out replacement pieces to you immediately. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's one of the things okay. I'm super happy about this uh, this hobby is I've never had an issue, almost never had an issue where something breaks or even when it's my fault. Like if I lose something. Uh, for the most part, publishers are great about, yeah, we've got extra copies laying around can- that we cannibalize specifically for this, so we're happy to help you. I love that about board games. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's kind of built into their cost, I think, at this point. Right, right. Um, all right, so, uh, yeah, I can't wait to stare at my box. I'll do, of course, the break down the components and then look wistfully at all the different cool things uh, and then hopefully get to play within, I don't know, a week or so. So, Tom, Tom, do you let people help you punch out components in the game? <laughs> so uh, I don't I don't mind that at all. There's a, a friend of mine uh, who has a little boy who's uh, I guess he's about like eight now. And then another buddy of mine who's a little fastidious about how he breaks down and, and puts up his, his board games and a new board game arrived. And I wish I could remember what it was. And the little boy said, oh, can I help you punch it out? And my friend Tony was like, uh, no, I'd rather you didn't. <laughs> And he made the kid cry. Oh. <laughs> so I no, I personally don't have that issue. But uh, yeah, yeah, I like um, that's part of my ritual. I get a new box, tear it open, punch it out, put it in baggies. Well, what uh, surprises me, and another friend of mine is like this: people who leave things in shrink wrap. Like the moment something arrives, I've got to tear the shrink wrap right. off and look at it and everything. And and if I unless I've got like some urgent appointment or something. Everything comes to a standstill while I punch out tokens and look over the components and sort things. I don't understand people who get a new board game and leave it in shrink wrap for weeks. I, That's don't, I don't either. That's weird. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. All right. Well, let's talk about things that aren't in shrink wrap. I'll go ahead and start. I think mine is probably the uh, most famous or certainly, the, I guess, the most hyped one. Uh, I, I predicted successfully on this podcast – uh, a few weeks ago, when we all were like, yeah, we're not going to get Marvel Champions. We're going to wait for a while. I predicted that I wouldn't hold out, and my prediction was uncannily successful in that I just, as soon as I found some place that had it in stock, I ordered it. So uh, I've been playing Marvel Champions, the, the latest fantasy flight, uh, and I'll use this word because it's fun to say A, and B, it's entirely accurate, the latest fantasy flight boondoggle. Uh, <laughs> so... My issue uh, is, does either of you guys know the Lord of the Rings living card game that they publish? Oh, yeah. Uh, I I tried it a couple times, but not in years and years. So I'd, you... I'd, I'd put it up there as one of my favorites. I really, I really quite oh. like it. Yeah. Okay. Now, have you kept up with it? Because that thing's been, they've been pumping out content for that forever, haven't they? Um, I kept up with it for a while. It was definitely the LCG I, I invested the most money in, and I played it entirely solitaire. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I played it a few times two-player with my older brother, but it was it was my number one solitaire game for years and years. And then I, I just stopped at one point. I, I had enough cards, and I had enough scenarios, and I'd realized I was slowing down, so I just kind of quit. So have you seen the Arkham Horror living card game? I've seen it, but I have not played it. What about the uh, the Sadler brothers who did that Brook City game that you talked about? Uh, they did a super compressed version uh, for Fantasy Flight called Warhammer Adventure. Right. It might even be Warhammer Adventure card game. Have you seen yeah. that? 
Yeah, I have seen that one. The, I, you Warhammer Quest, maybe? Adventure? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, 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 Warhammer yeah, yeah. Quest. Yep. Well, so my, my feeling here, and, and this is one of the first things I want to say about Marvel Champions, because I think it's one of the most trenchant points to make about it, is that Fantasy Flight has been iterating on this same basic formula ever since the Lord of the Rings core set came out. It gotta be like, what, eight, nine years ago? However old yep. that is. Mm-hmm. And, and this is, uh, you know, I'm going to describe to you guys in terms that will apply to Lord of the Rings, to uh, uh, Arkham Horror, to Marvel Champions, and even to the Saddler Brothers Warhammer Quest game, which I really like, by the way. You have heroes, and then you flip up, and you're fighting a bag of hit points. It's like a monster. However, in addition to fighting it, you've got to spend another resource uh, working your way through like a quest card. And every turn, there's that tension between, do I do the fighty bits against the bag of hit points, or do I try to accumulate the quest tokens to progress the quest, which is kind of your clock as well. Uh, And along the way... Other monsters get in your way, and they sit in front of your card. They're called, like, minions or monsters or something. They're not the big baddie, but they're things that are in the way. So that's, like, a third thing you've got to deal with. Every single game that Fantasy Flight has published in this whole living card games series that they've been doing ever since Lord of the Rings is that basic mechanic, that basic formula. Um, there are some differences in that Marvel, Marvel Champions, Arkham Horror, and uh, Lord of the Rings, those are all deck builders, whereas the Warhammer Quest game, it dispenses with that, and it's got this really cool system of limited actions that you have to deal with. Um, but then they also have differences like in terms of how they resolve combat. Um, does Lord of the Rings use dice? No, no dice. So in in uh, in Arkham Horror, you draw from a bag of tiles. How does right. Lord of the Rings do randomness? Um, well, you, you you flip over cards from the encounter deck to okay. see if there's shadow effects, right? So if you're in combat with mm-hmm. an orc or a troll, you you know what its basic power is going to be, but then you have to flip over this card, and that might really screw you over. That's that's how Marvel Champions works as well. Uh, yeah. So so my feeling, first of all, is that. And I guess maybe I'm expecting too much because, by golly, if the, the the kind of company, Fantasy Flight, gets so much use out of the same artwork, naturally they're also going to get some of that same recycled sensibility with their game designs. Uh, so going into Marvel Champions and expecting that maybe there's going to be something dramatically different from their other living card games, uh, I, I was immediately disappointed. Mm. That said, uh, there are some important differences that I feel... Uh, that that make it where I don't feel it was a huge mistake for me to get in this early. One of the issues, by the way, with getting in this early, there's no meaningful deck building at this point. And there's not going to be for another couple of expansions. And that was the case with Arkham Horror as well. Uh, I didn't play a lot of Lord of the Rings, but I can imagine with that core set, you probably can't do a lot of deck building. Uh, Oh, God. And with that, you had to buy multiple core sets to get... I mean, it was just brutal. But, and there, uh, there's a little bit of that in some Arkham Horror. But yeah, I think Marvel Champions has gotten around that. Uh, there's no reason to have, unless you want, I guess if you wanted more than two players. Uh, but generally, the the problem now is that there, there, there still is just no deck building. And when you buy it, it comes in a big empty box that is so <laughs> conspicuously empty. There is so much room in that dumb box. And and they are so parsimonious as to include slots for card dividers in the box. 
but no card dividers. <laughs> and that sort of thing is just, I mean, it's fantasy flight. They could have explored, like, uh, the the, uh, the legendary Marvel series, they give you card dividers like crazy. Those guys are happy to give you card dividers with the game. So there's just this sense of opening the box. It's pretty much the same basic game mechanic, and there's no deck building because you're just going to have to use what cards you've got to make a deck, whether it's the villain or the hero. Uh, so you've just got to wait until you get that deck building part, which for some people I'm sure is fine because let me and, and Hassan, I'm sure you dealt with this with Lord of the Rings. Eventually, it becomes an embarrassment of riches. Like the deck building is, is downright paralyzing for me in Arkham Horror now because there are just so many cards. Right. Uh, and I don't know how I don't know the game well enough to identify yet, like where the power creep is or which cards have been obsoleted. Uh, so that's one, I guess, the good things about Marvel Champions on the ground floor is you don't have to worry about any of that. Uh, you, you get what you get, and that's how you play the game. Right. So the the differences, though, that I think set this apart, the, the main difference that sets this apart from Lord of the Rings and then the Arkham Horror card game. And it makes Marvel Champions a faster, breezier, snappier, better-paced game. You know, shorter game, I should say. And that is when you draw a hand of cards in Lord of the Rings or Arkham Horror, you are then sitting on those cards, and then separately there's a resource that you accumulate to buy the cards. So if I've got these great cards, you know, one of them I may not be able to get out there for a while, and I'm faced with the tension, okay, do I spend my resources on this cheap card, or do I save it up for the more expensive card? And then gradually, like I think in both games, you add one card to your hand every turn. Um, so in, in those games, your cards accumulate and deploy pretty slowly. There's kind of a drip feed that, that uh, feeds the cards that gets them to the table. Marvel Champions, you pay for cards with cards. So there's no separate resource. Every card I get, in in Arkham Horror, if I get a super expensive card early on, I probably can't afford it. But in Marvel Champions, if I get a super expensive card early on, I can afford it if I'm willing to spend the rest of the cards in my hand to deploy it. Uh, and I'm going to probably empty my hand every turn. Right. So every turn is a whole new hand. Uh, and every hand, there's at least one and probably more cards that you can play. And there's not this sense of, oh, God, I'm sitting on this hand of cards. When can I finally bring this out? Uh, everything you draw, the tough choice is which one do I want to put into play and which ones do I want to discard to pay for the one that gets put into play. So that right off the bat keeps things breezier. Uh, I think it also helps with how the decks are built in this game. One of my initial reservations, uh, this compares a lot to Sentinels of the Multiverse, by the way, and I, at this point, definitely prefer Sentinels of the Multiverse for all the varied mechanics in it. It's a little bit more complicated and fiddly. At this point, Marvel Champions is, is nicely streamlined. Fantasy Flight will take care of that in due time, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> But but at, at this point, um, deck building in Marvel Champions is a matter of you take your hero, you then take something called an aspect, and in Arkham Horror these were things like investigation or com or uh, uh, de defense. Like it's sort of a mana flavor, I guess. And you just choose any aspect and you add it to any hero. 
there's none of this sense of, you know, Iron Man can't be a defender because he's an aggressor. If you want your Iron Man to be justice or defense or aggression, there's four aspects. What's the third one? Or the fourth one? I can't think of the fourth one. Iron Man can, can choose any set of colored cards that he wants. There's no restriction like there is in Arkham Horror where, you know, Wendy the Orphan can only have so many of these of green cards and so many red cards. You just take the hero cards, you take the aspect you choose, you shuffle them together, that's your deck. Right. Now, here's the tricky part. A deck has to be at least 40 cards. That's the common number in, in, in deck builders. Only 15 of those cards are your hero cards. So my concern was that, okay, I, I play Iron Man. 15 of those cards are Iron Man cards, but then the other 25 are either basic cards everybody shares or they're one of these four aspects that anybody can use so how is this deck going to feel like Iron Man if those cards are so diluted? And that gets down to the, the way that the cards cycle. Because even though I most of these cards are non-Iron Man cards, they're cards that any other deck could have, because 15 of these 40 are Iron Man cards, pretty much in any given draw, I'm going to have at least one Iron Man card. Mm. And if I want to flex what Iron Man uniquely does... I'll have that card there. I can pay for it. But if there's something else that is more situationally convenient or more appealing, I can just use that Iron Man card like any other card to pay for it. Um, but because the cards cycle so quickly and because you can choose pretty much anyone out of your hand to deploy, it's just a matter of how many of them you get to deploy, uh, the fact that only 15 of the 40 cards are Iron Man, I don't feel compromises the identity of the deck as an Iron Man deck. His unique tricks will come out. Captain Marvel's unique tricks will come out. She-Hulk's unique tricks, those will come out. You will, in a, in, by the way, in a typical game of Marvel Champions, you will cycle through your whole deck. And mm -hmm. in Arkham Horror, when you cycle through your whole deck, you're, you're done. Once something's in the discard pile, it's gone. Mm -hmm. And I think Lord of the Rings is like that. Uh, but mm -hmm. Marvel Champions, you just shuffle your discard pile. You cycle those cards like you would in another deck builder. Um, so you're moving quickly through the cards, you're picking the ones you want to use, which gives you a lot of flexibility, and it just makes the game a lot breezier and snappier uh, mm -hmm. than their other I'm of, games. I'm, I'm of two minds about it, because on mm -hmm. the one hand, I love the... I love the shift to the casual focus because I, I think that makes it a much easier game to just pick up and play, right? I think yeah. the challenge with the Lord of the Rings card game is that the deck building element is so essential to your success that that immediately puts up a barrier to a lot of people who, who maybe don't want to have to deck build and dig through the card base and all that stuff, right? Yep. Yep. Um, but the other side of it is that I think that, you know, one reason I love the Lord of the Rings game is because the deck building is so essential and allows you to craft sort of a, a strategy through your deck, whereas Marvel sounds like a more tactical experience. Like, here's my hand. What's What can I make out of this hand? Right. Okay, and then I get my next hand. Okay, what can I make out of this next hand? Whereas in a, in a game that focuses on the deck as your strategy, you you have a little bit more of a long-term plan that you're trying to, to build towards. That's a great point, Hassan, that I hadn't thought of because, of course, I haven't been able to build any decks here. But, yeah, you're right. That fact that if only 15 of the cards are Iron Man cards but I can still use them if I want to, that does kind of minimize the importance of, of deck building, doesn't it? Like, yeah. so what if I have a bunch of crappy cards in my hand? They're not going to lock my hand up. Yeah. Right. yeah. I mean, but, it, but again, it, it, it's going to reduce 
the frustration factor that is such a big part of these games. It's like, oh, my my hand is full of all these expensive cards, which I can't afford right now. Oh, great, right? Um, You're never going to face that in this. And so that's kind of a a clever piece of the design for sure. And I also think it's it's weirdly thematic too. Like Arkham Horror is all about you're getting beat down by monsters and you're a puny human and the cosmos are against you. You're supposed to be a superhero here. You're super powerful. You're punching things hard. You're moving fast. You're swinging around like Spider-Man. Like, I, I think that the this new approach kind of goes with the theming pretty well. Yeah. So, Tom, this is a co-op game, right? Or have you only played it solo? Yeah, no, no. It is a co-op game. You can certainly play solo. Uh, what you get in the core set, you, yeah, I guess you could play with more than two players. Um, but it's it's definitely a co-op game, and it's super manageable to play. Like, I struggle to get more than two investigators out with Arkham Horror. Uh, I've I've been playing this with two superheroes, and it's it's super easy to to play with two separate characters. And they even, I think, want you to be able to play solitaire, like with one hero. But I think it it misses out on a lot of the combinatorial stuff. Okay. So um, out of the, the base box, you can easily play two people, though? Oh, easily. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely okay. designed and, for that. Yeah. And then, you know, I've played some Arkham Horror where you're doing these kind of story campaign-based things. And you're trying to beat down some cultist thing. So what are, what are you fighting in this? Do you pick a random villain or how does yes. that work? Yes. So that, that's that's another good point, actually, Mike, is there's, as far as I can tell at this point, there's no campaign feature where, okay, mm-hmm. here's my Iron Man deck, and over the course of successive missions, it's going to evolve. Because that, to me, is a huge part of the appeal of Arkham Horror. Mm-hmm. All of these are standalone fights. You you pick a villain, and then the villain gets what's called a, a module. And good lord, I can't imagine. Why couldn't they think of a better name for it? The idea is it's kind of like a side plot. Like you, <laughs> you, you fight Ultron, but then you shuffle in the cards for like maybe a bomb scare. Or some mm. of these modules are other villains. Like there's one for Modoc. It's this weird guy in a floating throne. I don't know what his deal is. But so you can, with the villain cards, you then shuffle in some side plot. Uh, and then that's what you're fighting. Uh, and, okay. and to their credit, by the way, I just feel they've been doing this long enough that even with the core set, even with this weird – like I, I'm on board with the five heroes they give you. They've given you – like like Captain Marvel, Black Panther, and Spider-Man. Those are, those are great. Uh, oh, Iron Man too. That's a biggie as well. The, the only one that I'm – the fifth one is She-Hulk, and I don't know what's going on. She's like green <laughs> even when she's not a Hulk, which is weird. What's up with that? Um, but the three villains here, the things you fight against, Mike, mm-hmm. uh, okay, uh, Ultron, which I guess I just associate it with that whiny James Spader robot from the movie. I don't – so so right. there's Ultron. There's uh, uh, Rhino, Rhino, a dude who's, who's literally – like he's got a Rhino. I didn't see that Spider-Man movie, but he's just a dude – He's like Juggernaut, I guess, from X-Men. He's just a big, strong dude who runs at things. Uh, and he's basically just a bag of a huge bag of hit points. And then there's Claw, who... <laughs> who I, and it's spelled with a K. I, didn't, I don't even think I remember this was his name. It was Andy Serkis' little incidental character from the Black Panther movie, who gets swept out of the way super quick. Like, he's a fake-out <laughs> villain. Um right. So right. those are the those are the big baddies that you fight, and I honestly couldn't care less about any of them. I think I I personally see it as a big misstep. I I mean I think they they the the, the heroes they chose, like you said, it, I think it's fine. I don't know why they chose She-Hulk instead of Hulk, but whatever. But like I really think they needed to have at least one cool high-profile villain in the base set. It's I, I it's think definitely they one of think... the things keeping me away from it. Yeah, you know? and and I think that they think Ultron is that. Uh, I, I mean, 
I guess. Yeah. I mean, wait, you lead with Thanos. I mean, why? Come on, seriously. Right. Or you could have picked any like the traditional ones for these villains, right? So, or for these heroes, like Spider-Man could have Green Goblin, or. Right. Well, that's their. I think that's their. The Captain first America and Green Goblin are their first uh, uh, new releases. Like okay. one's a one's called a, a hero, and the other's a scenario pack. Mm-hmm. So yeah, those are on their way. Um, uh, and 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 just real quick, they do because like you have allies in Arkham Horror, and I know in Lord of the Rings you put out multiple characters that are part of your deck. Uh, they do have allies here, so there are appearances by like Hulk and uh, Spider Woman, Nick Fury, for instance. Like there's a single card that represents Hulk coming to help you. So some of that stuff is in there, but it's just yeah. not emphasized. Uh, it, it just feels incidental. So yeah. So so the big question is, do you? I mean. Do you still? You said you prefer Sentinels. Do you also prefer Marvel Legendary to this as a no, as a Marvel I, card game? I'm so glad you asked that because I I just love the splashiness and the nonsense. Uh, Marvel Legendary, and I've got a ton of cards for it. Not all of them by any stretch. Like I, I you know, there's so many that I don't have. But what I do have is just this insane, crazy, colorful, splashy mix of nonsense. And there's even a randomizer online where you can just tick off what yeah. sets you have, and it'll generate the villain, the villain's plot, and then the, the superheroes that are helping you. Uh, and I just love how crazy and wacky that gets. So this by no means invalidates it. This is much more okay, I'm playing these characters. When I play Marvel Legendary, I feel like I'm playing some weird comic book. Like, I'm playing a story and not just, okay, Spider-Man's trying to punch Rhino. Uh, So, yeah, so I I still think... That's, I guess, one of the surprising things, Hassan, is that I do like Marvel Champions. I'm just waiting for it to become the game that that I really want it to be. But I don't think it invalidates Sentinels of the Multiverse or Marvel Legendary, which I... I never would have thought. Like, I thought it would be superfluous to to those two. Uh, But they just feel different enough. Sentinel simply because there are just so many more mechanics, because there is no deck building, which then gives each hero and villain and environment. Those are the three elements in any game of Sentinels. It just gives them so much personality, because they're not selling stuff where they want you to swap in new cards or build decks. They just create, okay, here's how this works. You know, it depends on what cards come out, but this is always and only how Wraith works and how the I don't even remember their names. Uh, but but they just they 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 infuse their characters and places with so much personality because they're all fixed sets of cards. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so there you go. I I would have loved to have gotten on here and told you guys, yeah, Marvel Champions is dumb. You skip it, lame. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, I think I'm kind of into it a little bit, like not super <laughs> into it. But uh, yeah, I don't regret having bought it. I don't feel like I made a mistake. So mm-hmm. yeah, no, I, I think it's going to be a huge hit. I think yeah. that uh, it's going to sell like gangbusters this holiday season, and I, I do think that it was wise of them to, to tone it down a little bit and make it a more accessible game for families. Like I could just, I just see so many parents playing this with their with one of their kids, yeah. you know, yeah. as a as a two player cooperative fun game. One of the things they do in, in Arkham Horror, and this is a little chintzy, is you can change the difficulty level, which just changes the distribution of tokens that you draw, where there are more successes and failures if you want it to be easier. If you want it to be harder, you take out some of the successes. Uh, here, they have expert and standard versions of every villain, which is kind yeah. of cool, uh, but 
when I first got the game and was playing it, I couldn't lose a standard game if I tried. And I was thinking, oh my god, they really are toning this down. They really want kids to be able to play this. They don't want to frustrate anyone. But I, I realized, and this is the value, I think, of watching videos. I normally am like, no, I'm fine reading the rules. I can figure this out. I watched a video and realized that I wasn't multiplying the villain's hit points by the number of heroes I was playing. <laughs> right, right, right. I have seen that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm happy with the difficulty level at this point. All right, uh, Marvel Champions. Um, let's see. Which is a, so, Hassan, you're going to talk about a super old game. Uh but there's a newer version of it. How how old is this thing? It can't possibly hold up. <laughs> yeah, it's an oldie but a goodie. 2009, uh, Claustrophobia first came out. Yeah. And it and, doesn't predate Space Hulk, right? Um, no. no, Space yeah. Hulk is, the original is what, from this, the 70s maybe even? The very Wait, the first board one? game Space Hulk is from the 70s? I was going to say 80s, but it's old. Yeah. Wow, it, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, claustrophobia is, uh, it sounds like both of you have some experience. I'm kind of curious to hear how this, the old one compares with the newer one, Tom, which you have, I think, right? Mm -hmm. Which yep. was released yeah. maybe last year or something like that. And it was just a Kickstarter, right? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And, and I played the original, but not in a number of years. Yeah. It's, it's a beloved, it's a beloved game. Like there's a lot of fans of this game. I count myself as one of them for sure. I just don't get it to the table as often as I used to. Um, claustrophobia is a one V one scenario based asymmetrical tactical minis dungeon crawler, um, set within kind of a weird, but, but cool demon infested, a set of catacombs beneath a, a fictional city called New Jerusalem, and I actually think that one of the one of the cool features of the game is this unique vibe that it gives off. It's kind of an intriguing setting, um, and one of the players takes on the role of the condemned, which are prisoners released into this these these cursed corridors to kill and survive and possibly redeem themselves and they're actually the good guys even though i like that they're the condemned prisoners um they have names like the blade and the brute and the redeemer and then the other player takes on the forces of hell and um, those are represented by an primarily an army of troglodyte demons and then a, a major demon which can manifest itself at some point during the scenario. Mm -hmm. And and kind of like what you guys pointed out, the closest board game to this that people might have some familiarity with, it would be Space Hulk, where it's, you know, Space Marines versus Gene Stealers. This is uh, Condemned versus Demons and Troglodytes. And it has that feel where the the condemned much like the space marines are tough and can do a lot of cool things and many people would argue that it's more fun to play their side because they have just so many tools available to them to kick ass with whereas if you're playing the the forces of hell you are primarily like the gene stealers kind of just throwing a bunch of meat at the condemned and hoping that eventually you can you can knock them out one by one and win the game now, can I ask you something about the, the, the remake that I've played that I'm curious is in the original? Uh, one of the things that mitigated that for me is that when you play the demon, the choice of demon that you're playing, and it's scenario dependent, but there are different demons that introduce different kinds of rules and cool gimmicks. So when you're playing the humans, yeah, they've got a lot of tools, but when you're playing 
the demon in a scenario, each uber demon does something like different or ramps up in a different way or manifests himself very differently. Mm. Uh, is that is that how the original works? Not as much. And I, th I think that oh. is something they, they tweaked for this new version, Tom. Yeah, I, I mean, it is true that in the old one, each scenario does come with a, a different demon, but the rules guiding how the demons work are they're they're pretty quick and light like some of the demons are faster or stronger or have higher defense some some have very simple ai rules associated with them but nothing like i think what is in the newer edition okay because yeah the newer the the edition of claustrophobia i've played and i assume the older one was like this like there's a lot of crazy tricks that the different demons use uh and i you know there's they do a lot of cool gameplay stuff with the player who gets to play one cool unit and everything else is just a bunch of little trashy fodder. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's that's cool because I, I, I can see how somebody's criticism of the original would be, oh, it's just more fun to play the good guys, right? Um, I mean, usually when I'm teaching this game to people, I, I usually play the demon side because it is mm -hmm. a little bit less fun. So I'm like, hey, you, you, I'm going to teach you how to play this. You get, you get to be the condemned because they're more interesting to play with. Um, I mean, it also ends up that the scenarios are kind of imbalanced to make it um, harder for the good guys to survive. That's very much like in Space Hulk, where the odds are against the Space Marines' you know, favor. Mm -hmm. um, so usually the guy I'm teaching loses, but, you know, <laughs> fuck it, right, whatever. Um, but um, but I, I, I do think that um, I do think that they do a even in the original they do a nice job of making the 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 two sides play differently like the asymmetry plays out very nicely i think the the core mechanic of claustrophobia which which differentiates it from a lot of games in this genre is this dice allocation system so if you're the good guys if you're the condemned you you roll you know a handful of these six-sided dice and then you allocate one of them each to each of your different condemned figures and um so you know like your brute has six different lines that it can activate and one of those lines for example the number one line might mean that it's going to be very defensive this route it's going to basically be a giant meat shield and it's going to be really tough to injure whereas another of the lines like the six line might be an attack line so you're basically using your random dice to figure out uh, you know, almost like the tactical stance that each of your characters is going to take that turn. And that has that does have a big effect on play. I think it's um, it plays out very you know interestingly. And one of the most clever mechanics in the game is that as your guys get injured, those yeah. lines disappear, right? So they get you can't activate that line anymore. And so now that that's a really cool representation of how um, that character is, is struggling. And as they get injured more and more and more, oh man, it gets really tough to activate them. Mm -hmm. uh, does the original have those little cards that mitigate the rand that you can use to, to specify what, to, to change the die rolls? Um, I'm not sure. I don't okay. think I don't, so. I don't think so. Yeah, because yeah, in the remit, they're they're called like bravery cards, or there's something, and and they're rare, but uh, I think you maybe get like one each turn. But they do things like, okay, play this card to turn any die to a two, 
so that they're making it they're making it babies claustrophobia I, I guess so right exactly because you can <laughs> you can right yeah yeah definitely you hold that in your hand and uh, make sure you don't <laughs> fill in the two and you're always good to go yeah <laughs> um but if you play the bad guys it's also a dice allocation system but it plays out differently like there's this big board in front of you called the board of destiny and you roll again a number of dice and then you allocate those dice to get different kinds of effects like you're always going to be able to put out um, a bunch of trogs on the board the game makes it pretty easy for you to just keep pumping out these little trog units to to mess with the condemned but for example if you allocate two even dice you can make your trogs have like sharpened claws and that means that they get like a reroll on their attack or you can activate some kind of ambush so even even the bad guy has a cool system that they can play with in terms of dice allocation like you can definitely um, do some fun, clever things to, to mess with your opponent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is the original one of the things that struck me in this the the remake that I played uh, is that there's not a lot of li- like fancy inventory stuff. If somebody right. has a, a bow or whatever, that's a huge deal. Like you right. might have like two items, and your four dudes have to decide who gets which one. And an item, uh, it, it's not like you've got a paper doll and an inventory and a bunch of cards lined up under your hero that you have to keep track of. Uh, And you don't find anything... Actually, I guess it depends on the scenario. I was going to say, you don't find stuff on the map either. Uh, Rarely. Rarely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, no, I would say that... That's a reflection of one of, I think, the core things that makes Claustrophobia a great game in my mind, which is that it's a... It, it, it's it's been very careful to be streamlined yeah. and it's got a it's got a relative simplicity compared to a lot of tactical minis games which will just go overboard in terms of oh well here's some rules about height and here's some rules about <laughs> cover and um like you know several months ago you know i, I was you know, periodically mentioning that we were playing this game hate in our game group, like this totally bizarre, weird fucking thing <laughs> called hate. And hate's a game that just is like, nope, we, we're going to let loose. We're going to we're going to throw everything in this game. You can eat your opponent and it's going to be amazing, <laughs> you know, um, and that's and I kind of dig it. I'll be honest for that. But in the end, it's it just lumbers under the weight of an enormous number of rules and, and exceptions. And it's really easy to forget stuff when you're playing it. Yeah. Um, and there's a billion different types of effects and tokens that you have to keep track of, right? And claustrophobia is not like that. It's super streamlined. Like there's there's some movement rules. There's the the, the how combat plays out is relatively straightforward. It's primarily melee combat. There's very little range stuff going on. There's very little in the way of of loot um, with weird effects. So it allows players to really focus on just the 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 tactics like really to get into the scenario and try to figure out how to win um i I really like that about it one of the things that we really enjoyed about it is the way that the the dungeon is built Uh, yeah uh, talk about that like what's that like in the original um it's i i agree like i think that's one of its best elements is there's the game comes with a number of different dungeon tiles and every scenario kind of has a unique you know, different set of rules of how you're going to create your stack of tiles. But in most scenarios, um, the dungeon isn't laid out for you at the start of the scenario. You, the, the, the players actively explore the dungeon. And so it creates this nice sense of exploration and revealing mysteries. And a lot of the tiles have unique effects. Um, one, I have 
one of the expansions for the game, which is called De Profundis, which I really quite like. And my my favorite part about the expansion is that it adds a lot more tiles to the game. So when you add that into it, um, every scenario, every time you play a scenario, it's going to play out differently. Like, oh, you might reveal a layer, which is now a place where the demon player can can spawn trogs. It makes it much easier for the demon player to, to put out its units. Or you might reveal a flooded tunnel or a, a, a tile that has, like, these evil tentacles that are attacking the players. Um, I really like the uniqueness of, of the dungeons in this game. Um, a lot of dungeon crawlers feel super generic, like... Like, I would say that about Space Hulk. There's nothing that differentiates the individual right. rooms or corridors in Space Hulk, but in Claustrophobia, every tile is actually different. Yeah, and and it can have a huge effect on gameplay, too. Like, I, yeah. it's not just like, okay, this was going to give you a plus one. It's the sort of thing where that like that one tile that comes in that one place and really screws up your plan, like, that's the thing you remember about the game. Like, I really right. like that uh, about Claustrophobia is the way that the tiles it's not just corridors it's corridors with personality and gameplay effects yeah absolutely like yeah, yeah the the remake has like six i'm going to just say 1632 uh it's <laughs> it's claustrophobia and then a year uh what does that mean? Is it is it a sequel to this, the first one? Like, does it take place a few years after or before? I really don't know much about the comparison between the two games. Well, I actually just thought it was like a, a almost just a reprint. But to hear you talk, I, I think it's you know they've obviously made some some changes in it. Yeah, um, I think it's like a, a second edition. And oh, by the way, the number is sixteen forty three. Oh, I was close. Oh my god. <laughs> I, wow. I, okay, that was in my memory somewhere. Uh, Hassan, do they have the the little fancy boards where you lift up? Uh, it's kind of like a, a bracket, and then you slide in the card for the hero or the demon, and then you close the little bracket, and the little holes show you the values that it uses. Um, not nearly as fancy as what you're describing. No, okay. no, definitely not. It actually had these little plastic holders for the boards, so so you could fit pegs in them, which was kind of nice. But yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. okay, yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, the components yeah, no, in the in the in the reboot are, are really nice. Like it's a really uh, it's, it's an elaborately made game. They did well on it. Yeah, this this is an example of a game where um, in 2009 it blew people away. Like, holy shit! Look, there's pre-painted minis in here, and they look great. And look at all this stuff you get. Mm -hmm. And then now, ten years later, we can look at like the newer version and be like, oh my god! Right, the game has shifted. You know, right. um, especially when you're talking about. Uh, tactical minis games, the expectation for, for what the components are look like is, is going to be ramped up quite a bit. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I think at the heart of it, um, it, 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 either, either version is good because of these core mechanical aspects to them. Mm-hmm. And I love that you're poo-pooing the, uh, the cards that let you mitigate the randomness of the dice. <laughs> 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 you're like um, old school, hardcore Hassan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it, it's, it's a fun game. It, it, one thing that does happen is that you, um, there's, there's a huge number of scenarios that have been put out for this game. Like if you go to their website or even on BGG, you can download like, I like over a hundred scenarios. Ooh. I've played maybe half a dozen, you know, um, 
but they they vary enormously in uh, their quality and balance. So yeah. when you when you pick a scenario, you really are kind of rolling the dice in what your experience is going to be. Yeah. I, I, this is one of those games where I wish I've often wished this. I think they have this from Memoir Forty Four, where I wish there was an online website where people could rate the the scenarios on their balance and and how they how much they like them, so that right. I could look that up beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, is it easy to find the original? Like, is the, it one of those games? Are there are there spare copies generally floating around? Can you go to retail and buy it? I don't know. I think it's out of print. Yeah, it's got to be dead. Yeah. Uh, and I don't even think uh, so. The uh, sixteen forty three never went to retail. Is that right, Mike? Not that I have seen. Okay. I was just looking it up while we're talking, but yeah, it's yeah. not even. What's funny is claustrophobia. When I first got it. You know, it was made by this little company I'd never heard of called Asmodee. Right. right. <laughs> and they have since taken over everything. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Mike, why don't you tell us about a game that you got to see, I think, at Gen Con and have yep. now gotten to play? Yeah, so I just got my copy a couple days ago of Reavers of Midgard, the sequel to one of my favorites, Champions of Midgard. Uh, and on our Gen Con podcast, I kind of covered some basic mechanics. I only got a chance to play a couple turns. Uh, but we played a whole game yesterday. Um, so I'm going to be doing a lot of comparison to Champions, because I'm really familiar with that, and I think you are too, Tom. Yep. Um, Hassan, have you played Champions of Midgard? Um, I, I own it now, but I have not yet played it with my group. So, okay. Yeah. So uh, let me start out with the basic of Champions of Midgard. It's a mashup of kind of an adventure game and a worker placement game, where you're going around collecting resources, building up troops, and then essentially finding random monsters to fight and get loot and so on. Uh, Reavers is a little bit more abstract, where you have a ship of Vikings, uh, and instead of being a strict worker placement, so in in Champions you might have, say, four workers per turn, uh, in this you only get one. But the difference is, every single spot, everyone gets to do it. So if Tom goes to the spot that lets him recruit more dudes, uh, then Hassan does it, and then I do it in turn order, with the person who picked it getting some sort of bonus. Uh. So it might be some extra resources, or in some cases you get to do that action three times, and the second player gets to do it two times, and then the last three and four, it's one each. So it's, you're kind of, and it's done in turn order, so kind of depending where we're sitting and we go clockwise around the table. Uh, so you're kind of, instead of being a race to get the best spots, uh, it's more planning, I think you're going to take this and I'll get to do it anyway, so I should prioritize this other action. Uh, and the actions are things like recruiting guy. Nope. I think we lost you, Mike. Mike. Come back. The Vikings carried him off. <laughs> <laughs> Can you hear me now? Yeah, oh, there okay. you are. Yep. Uh, hello? Yeah. Can you hear okay, us? That was weird. Yeah. Okay. That was weird. <laughs> so the actions right, you're so, saying the actions are like recruiting guys. Can I guess yep. real quick? Is mm-hmm. the worker that you place your Viking boat? Yes. You Sweet. actually place a little icon of your or a little uh, wood piece that's your ship. So the concept uh, is then, that you're you're sailing around, uh, visiting different like islands and plundering stuff. Correct. So cool. there's there's the go get more guys. There's the fight stuff at sea, and then you can raid uh, villages. You can raid keeps. You can trade with villagers. And then the other spot is called subduing uh, the lands. We're actually kind of exerting your influence. Have you played Raiders of the North Sea? I have not. Because so I, far, I, I mean, it sounds that. like it sounds yeah, like there's some that. overlap there. Yeah, okay, yeah. with with the like you pick it and then everyone gets to do the action kind of thing. 
more the idea that you're sailing it's worker placement you're sailing a boat around doing different things although it is more conventional worker placement uh but this idea that you're you're hiring guys you're raiding places you're subduing others um mm -hmm. yeah yeah and and um yeah and the weird part is with your one action and then everyone gets to do it to lesser degrees um uh, you're really prioritizing like this turn i really want to get more guys so i'm gonna go there first and i get a couple extras um so it's it's kind of interesting like that uh, the other thing that's different from champions is in champions a green die was an archer right so when i get an archer i get a green die whereas in uh, reavers there's three color dice red yellow blue and depending which side is showing on the die is what they do so they just have icons on each side rather than hits or not so when you recruit some dice you actually roll them and then this one has a picture of a hammer on it so it's a warrior this one has a picture of a boat so it's a guy who helps me sail and then you actually leave it on that face on your board um and then there's abilities to change the face and so on because a lot of the costs in the game, you have to spend both, say, some food and turn in two of your shield dice. Mm. So it's your your dice in a way are kind of workers and resources. Mm. So it's it's a very strange uh, kind of mix of how they did it. Um, and that carries into the combat too. So if you're fighting some monster at sea, it's going to have, you know, defense of five and kind of the traditional thing. But it also have, say, six icons atop. It may have two ships, a shield, a hammer, and then one of the unique leader icons. And if I have all those dice, I can throw them all away and beat the guy with no rolling. Mm. So you can kind of accumulate and build up your guys on your boat to because you can actually see the, the, the missions are all face up. Um, and you can kind of plan ahead that you're just going to spend dice rather than fight. Uh, because for fighting, you have to turn in your dice that have hammers, the warriors. And then you end up getting different dice, which are the ones that have hits or misses. So it's it's very it it's a significant difference from champions in that I'm not recruiting berserkers and archers and swordsmen. It's I'm just getting these abstract dice, which will then be something that I assign to rolls. Champions had this bit that could really screw you over, uh, and it it was always your own fault because you decided to try it. But where you could load up a ship with uh, men and provisions to sail across the sea and try to fight a big victory point monster, and on the way you would have to draw like a random weather card uh, mm -hmm. that could really screw up your plans. Uh, like it, it could kill one of your dudes, and now you don't have enough to fight the monster. Uh, is there any equivalent to that uh, in in Reavers? There is just for the sea battles, uh, mm -hmm. so the, the fighting portion. You draw a card, the journey card. It might say, you know, all is quiet. It might say you're starving and you have to either spend X more food or lose some dice. So just like uh, just just like uh, champions then. Yep. Yeah. Uh, the difference is, uh, like the com primary combat cards, those bad cards you can draw for journey cards have icons in the corner of dice. Uh -huh. And, you know, let's say you're having some weather. It'll have maybe two sailboats up there. And if I get rid of two of my sailor dice, then I pass it without any of the consequence. Hmm. It sounds like uh, certainly Champions has the the worker placement typical interaction where you're you're blocking uh, other people. Yep. It sounds like without that blocking, it's even less interactive. Would you say that's true? Uh, yeah, I would say yeah. It's you know it's the kind of I wouldn't call it so much a salt simultaneous solitaire, but it's more in that direction. Right. Um, where you know, one of the actions gives you the first player marker. So next turn, I'll be able to get, you know, say when you go uh, raid villages, you get extra cards. Uh, and those cards might give you more dice. They might give you more um, uh, just from resources. There's some set collection. I don't know if you remember in the first game, there was like, yeah. you know, if you have a bunch of red cards, it's worth something. And now they have, 
you can actually find treasure or artwork or tapestries. And if you get the more of these cards you have, the more points are worth at the end. So you're actually plundering villages and keeps that you're fighting. Does this obsolete Champions of Midgard? It sounds like it might, like, replace it. I know. I still find myself wanting to play Champions. I just, okay. I like the, I'm chucking a bunch of dice in combat and seeing hits and stuff. And this is a little, like, a step removed from that, where it's a little more strategic in that I need to plan you know, this is my goal. I'm going to go over and subdue territories to get more points because I've draw, uh, drawn these goal cards, uh, kind of like the first game, where it says, you know, for each purple color territory is subdued, you get a point. So that I can focus on those kind of things as I gain these goals. Uh, and then the cool thing about the subdue territory uh, section is there's these little hex tiles. And on them is a defense value, say one, two, or three. And then it will have a resource on it. So instead of deciding to fight the random people and take them over, you can just give them food, mm-hmm. and then you get it instead. So there's, it's perfectly viable to try to just build up resources and not fight at all. An economic victory. I like that. It's, yeah. not, it's not very Viking-like, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, overall, I, I liked it. I want to play it again. I got the Kickstarter version, um, so I got, you know, the wood pieces and all that kind of fanciness. Um, but my, my overall my impression was pretty good for the first play. Would you would you say it's a bit heavier than than champions? I would say it's harder to I don't know if it's heavier, but it's harder to know like by the end of the game who's winning. Mm-hmm. There's as you're getting you're getting all these cards that give you more uh, ways of getting points. Um, you get these. Uh, you, in the first game, there was this thing called a blame token. Mm-hmm. And oh if right, you did, yeah, I remember. Yeah. If you didn't fight the troll every round, you everyone would start earning blame. Uh, this one has a token called terror. So when you raid a village, uh, the cards have a spot that says you're going to get, say, three food. And if you decide to pillage the village on top of that, you get a terror token and some more resources. So the more terror you cause, you get negative points at the end of the game, but you earn more along the way. So it's just kind of a cool little uh, mechanic of deciding to go a little further on getting stuff at a cost. One of the things, though, I liked about the blame token is that was super interactive. Like, right. I could go fight the troll, and then if I go there first, I get to give you guys blame tokens. Like, I dodge the blame this round. That's uh, right. And, there's, and there are some rewards, which is, you know, give another person a blame token. And so uh, there's some of that. Right, um, right. And then the other uh, cool thing, cool mechanic in this game is when you recruit uh, guys for your boat, uh, it's going to have in one corner, it's going to have, say, uh, a red and a yellow die. And that means you're going to grab a red and yellow die, roll them, put them on your board. Then you have a choice of either getting more dice, which on those you get to pick exactly what side they are so I can you know, get warriors if I need them. Uh, at the bottom of the card, there's an ability, which you then slide into a slot on your player board. And it's corresponding to the different actions of the game, like raid villages, raid keeps, etc. And then anytime someone picks that action, the ability of the card I slid under there activates. Maybe gives you free food or lets you change one of your red dice into another face. So you kind of set up these uh, abilities that are going to happen from then on to the rest of the game based on where you slot these cards in. So it's it's kind of cool that you're you're picking how uh, like a bonus you're going to get. And sometimes they kind of make neat combos. Mm-hmm. For example, when you're going to sea battle, you need to spend four food. But if I put a card in there that gives me free food every time, then I maybe only need one on hand instead of four. One of the things that strikes me hearing you describe this is, and this is, you know, part of the pattern of board games is you're getting an economic engine going. You're trying to create something. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
when I think of Vikings, I think of they go around and they tear shit down, they break stuff, and they carry things away. Like they're they're about destruction. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you guys think of a game that does that well, where you get this sense that you're running around breaking things and being destructive? Because <laughs> normally you build up an economic engine, like that's part of any game. Or, <laughs> right. Does anything come to mind where that feels actually Viking-like? Well, I mean, you brought up Raiders of the North Sea earlier, and and I I actually really like that. That's one of my favorite worker placement games actually and i I get that sense from that game right because Mm -hmm. you start by attacking the 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 ports and then you move deeper into the monasteries and then eventually at the end of the game you're tackling those big what were they citadels or something like that um i don't know that game always gave me a feel of of growing destruction because i've only seen the digital version of that game and and not very much of that so i I, i'm not as well acquainted but i like that yeah that that sounds more viking-ish Mm-hmm. And yeah, and this one has a sense of that, especially with the, you know, I'm gonna destroy stuff and get some more treasure, but I caused terror, so it could be negative. So, well, there was certainly a... none of that in uh, Champions of Midgard, where no, you're just fighting was... the monsters. Like you're not right. pillaging any villages; you're just going yep. and slaying them. You might as well be some Greek hero. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you want a game, Tom, where you you go to a monastery and you burn some really yeah. just beautiful Christian document. Yeah, totally. What's yeah. that stained glass game? I want one of those where instead of building, yeah, I want one where you break you the glass, you throw it. a rock through it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe that monster slaughter game I played, Tom, that was a destructive game. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because that's, that's kind of a hallmark of a lot of video games. Like video games are really good at, okay, we've made something, knock it down, you know, right. shoot it, kill it break things be disruptive uh whereas board games uh, yeah i don't jenga i guess <laughs> so uh all right so marvel champions claustrophobia and claustrophobia 1643 uh and reavers of midgard uh three winners to varying degrees this week this week um yeah all right, I'm Tom Chick. I've been here with Hassan Lopez, Mike Pullman, uh, and we'll be back in two weeks to tell you guys about some more games. Thanks for listening. Cheers.